Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. So many people who work in the field of grief and bereavement land here because of their personal experience. They want to provide others with what they most needed in the hopes of making things just a little bit easier for someone else. This is especially true for Melody Lomboy-Lowe and her niece, Gracelyn Bateman. They are the co-founders of Luna Peak Foundation, a nonprofit that supports those affected by cancer and by grief. Through their books and social media channels, they tell the stories of multicultural survivors of cancer and those who have had someone die. Melody and Gracelyn know both of those worlds very well. Melody was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic blood cancer when she was six and went through intensive treatment until she was nine. Gracelyn's dad, who was also Melody's brother-in-law, died of a cardiac event while running in 2016. Through Luna Peak Foundation, Melody and Gracelyn have published a number of books, including Beyond Remission and Beyond Grief, which are collections of photos and interviews with people from across the country. Their newest book, Holiday Griefings, is a workbook for folks facing grief during the end-of-year holidays. Luna Peak donates thousands of their books to hospitals, support group programs, hospice centers, and retirement facilities. We go to a lot of places in this conversation, including how grief shows up for Melody and Graceland during the holidays, what it would have meant to Melody as a six-year-old kid to see images and hear stories from other cancer survivors who looked like her, and how cancer and grief have radically changed both of their lives. Melody and Graceland, thank you so much for joining Grief Out Loud. I know it's been um, a bit of a wait to come be part of the show, so I appreciate you making time today. Thank you for having us. And how do you both tend to introduce yourselves when the conversation you're having is about grief? Do you want to go first, Graceland? Sure. I usually disclose that I am part of the Dead Dads Club. That's the easiest way to introduce myself. And most recently, I have become a death doula. So I have now earned the nickname Grieflin. Grieflin. (laughs) (laughs) And I introduced myself as a lifelong griever. Um, Being a childhood cancer survivor, I was diagnosed when I was six. So um, I lost many friends along that journey. Lifelong griever. It's been, you know, best friends, good friends, cousins. Um, I've lost a lot of people at a very young age. And then um, Grace and I, of course, share um, family grief. And Melody, just to clarify, when you said I lost a lot of friends along the way, you mean friends who have also died, not friends that you lost because you were going through cancer. No, friends that had cancer with me. So they were in treatment with me in the hospital. And I know you mentioned that you share family grief, and I imagine there have been maybe multiple people in your family who have died, but thinking particularly, Graceland, about your dad and Melody, your brother-in-law, who's the same person. And what makes you think of him, especially this time of year? So 
you know, Grayson and I also, we, we often speak about how the holidays are probably the hardest time for our grief. It brings up a lot of uh, memories that are wonderful, but then you grieve that you don't have those times to look forward to. And we've had a big shift in our family of how we celebrate. So some of those traditions are different. You know, we love thinking about Chris at this time of year because he baked cookies for everybody and we called them Kipps chips and people crave them. Like they were just delicious. And it's a secret family recipe that we don't share with anybody, but during the holidays, we, you know, we make them and we pass them out. And so that's what makes me think of him during this time of year. And Gracelyn, how about for you? What makes you think of your dad? There's so many tangible things around the holidays that just jog your memory. And even if it's just walking through Target and you see something that they would have liked or something you would have liked to put in their stocking, even the act of hanging up his stocking, which we still do. We love to see his Chris stocking. My mom made handmade stockings and they have everyone's names on them in really adorable stitching. And so we always love having those up. Um, I have a family of four for my immediate family. And so even just having his stocking up there is a good reminder of, you know, he's still here and he's still with us and we definitely have his presence still here. Um, we also used to go skiing a lot. We have a lot of family memories of going up into the mountains and my dad loved skiing. So also something about the winter time and, and having more snow around and, and going up and having that fun ski time with family is something that we think of a lot, especially during this time. Well, and I know today we're going to talk quite a bit about Luna Peak Foundation, the foundation that you both uh, co-created, and and that foundation works to serve people who are going through uh, an experience of having a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment, and also those who have had someone die. Can you tell us just a little, like, kind of the origin story of how you got to this place of creating Luna Peak Foundation? Well, I like to joke that I had to wait for Graceland to grow up to help me create the foundation that I've always wanted. I'm her aunt and I'm 12 years older. And so after she finished her master's program and she was working in the corporate world, that's when we had the loss of her dad. And we came together after that and started talking about some of the things that I wish I had when I was going through my cancer treatment and my own grief, things that she wished she would have had when her grief first started. That's why we decided to start you know, a foundation that helps people that are newly going through these experiences. And how about you, Grayson, besides your aunt convincing you to do it? What was kind of your motivation? So much of what we do is honoring my aunt's story of survival and resilience and her motto of celebrating life. And I think that could absolutely be extended into the grief community as well. So much of what we do is trying to humanize the topics of cancer and grief. And they are such dark topics that people oftentimes don't want to talk about, but they affect so many people. All of us will know grief in our lifetime in some way. So to be able to shine a light on very dark topics and to bring a multicultural twist to a lot of the projects and photography and interviews that we do, all of this is something that motivates us to push forward and build community and use these authentic survivor stories to help people talk about these things because, you know, they're universal topics. And I know, you know, listeners will be able to click on the link in the show notes and explore your website, but can you talk just briefly about what are some of the different projects that you have happening with Luna Peak? Our very first project was our book Beyond Remission. 
And it took us about two years. We went around the country and took photos of uh, cancer survivors and asked them what got them through their darkest days, what got them through their treatment, what was something that was helpful in their treatment in order to help a newly diagnosed cancer patient. So that book is a photography book. So you'll see like the eyes of the cancer survivor and them smiling because seeing, you know, being able to smile through a, you know, a devastating diagnosis is always hopeful to be able to see somebody that went through what you went through. You know, Beyond Remission was a book I wish I had because I didn't know what a survivor looked like. At six years old, you're told you have cancer and you could possibly die, but you could survive. But what does that look like? And how do you, you know, what is survivorship? So that's what we wanted to show people through Beyond Remission. And that was our very first book. And then we sort of mimicked that for the grief world. And I'll let Grayson speak a little bit about Beyond Grief. So similar to looking at what life after cancer looks like, we decided to ask the question, what does life after loss look like? So we interviewed people who had undergone a loss between one to 66 years ago. And we learned something really special from every single one of them. And these are people who lost someone very close to them. So they were siblings, they were parents, they were grandparents, best friends, children, pretty much every type of loss there is. So we took a second to, you know, invite people to share about the worst thing that's, that's happened to them. And we explored how people navigated their life after loss. We took a look at how they piece their life back together and how they got to a point where they can talk about it. We oftentimes think of all the people in our books as mentors. We hope that people who are looking at these books can take a page out of their story and use it for their own healing. Well, that leads me to this next question of thinking, you know, you both came in with your personal experiences and then wanting to create resources that would have been really helpful to you. And when you were going through both cancer uh, treatment and remission, and then for you, Graceland, after your dad died, and then when you engage with people and their stories, you know, we learn so much. And then oftentimes we understand our own experience in a different way based on those interactions. So I'm just curious from either or both of you, are there parts of your own story that hasn't necessarily shifted, but that you just understand in a different way after those conversations with all of those folks across the country? 100% for me. I was so young when I was diagnosed that I sort of don't know life without cancer. Part of my story also is that my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer a month before I was, and he passed very quickly. So my only experience with cancer was somebody dying. So being able to meet all of these survivors and seeing how they live wonderful lives after such, you know, difficult times was great for me. But also, you know, as a teenager, I tried to forget that I had cancer and I didn't want people to know that I was a survivor because I was the little kid in town that that's the cancer kid. That's the kid that survived cancer. And so it was, I, I was almost like famous in our small town for being this, this cancer survivor. And I didn't want that to follow me into high school and college. So I kind of forgot about it and didn't want to talk about it so much. Being able to interview these people and learn so much about their lives has made me celebrate even more. It's very special what I went through and I should talk about it. And it should be well known so that I can influence and help other people. I'm appreciating that kind of arc of you know, for a while as a child, it was like your full story was that you were the child who survived cancer. And then as a teen and as a young adult, you were like, I don't want that to be any part of my story. And then now as an adult integrating, like it is a part of me and a part of my story, but it's not my full story in the world or the only story about me in the world. 
And Graceland, how about for you? Anything that you understand differently about your own grief after the Beyond Grief book? Absolutely. I think I came to a place of acceptance through these 80 conversations about grief. Um, Typically, the people who are interviewed, I was only two years out of loss when we started this massive project. Most of the people that we interviewed were more than two years out of loss. So there was something really powerful in me having these conversations and asking them, well, how did it feel at year five? How did it feel at year 10 and 20 and 30 and 60? It was really special to be able to see how grief was interwoven into their life and how it was okay that grief is so present in their lives still. So I feel like I learned something amazing from every single person who I talked with, even if, you know, these were sad conversations, sometimes a lot of the stuff was sad, but, you know, even in the sadness, there's something to relate to and to know that I wasn't alone. So I'm very lucky to have been the first audience member for all of these interviews that we put together. We really tried to mimic all of these conversations and get you as close as possible to speaking with a survivor in the form of a book. It almost seems like, you know, doing all those interviews with people who had had someone die, you know, many years ago, even could be a helpful, almost like education around not having as much pressure on yourself to be feeling a lot different sooner than maybe you were. Definitely. Grief is such an awkward experience. And, you know, you just never know how you're supposed to go through it. And so a lot of people will say, oh, grief looks different on everyone. And that was something that we were told a lot. And, you know, I could understand that concept, but it wasn't until we interviewed 80 different people how and saw how their grief looked until we really understood what that meant and to see that we really all do walk through this differently. And there were so many amazing metaphors that people used. There's so many amazing ideas about how to celebrate your loved ones, how to celebrate your own life after you've experienced a great loss, all of these amazing, incredible insights that we got. And just to see how different it looked on everyone was a really beautiful process. One thing I was just thinking about is when you're out in the world, there can be this like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to make people feel sad or ask them intrusive questions. And I'm curious, how did the folks that you interviewed for both Beyond Remission and Beyond Grief, how did they respond to the opportunity to be able to tell their story maybe when you first contacted them? Um, so something one of the participants actually said was, I love it when people ask me about my mom. I love talking about my mom because I don't forget that she's not here. Just because you asked me about her doesn't remind me like, oh my gosh, you just reminded me that my mom is dead. Right. You know, I know she's not here, but I do like to talk about her. So that's something we actually take with us now is if we are around a new griever or, or an old griever, even we ask them about their person. We ask them, tell us a story about them because I know that people do like to speak about somebody that was so special in their lives. But one thing we did find is a lot of these people had never been asked about their grief. They appreciated being able to speak about their loved one. So a few people were a little apprehensive at first, but once we asked them a few questions, it kind of warmed them up and they really loved sharing. And they loved just being able to bring their person to us to introduce their father or their mother or their child to another person that didn't know them. So that was really special. 
we found that there's a ripple effect of healing from our projects. And that's something that we caught on quickly to the cancer project that we did and having 100 survivors come through and they're getting photographed by another cancer survivor. And you have little girls coming in who are surviving leukemia and they look up to, you know, someone else who has survived leukemia and is smiling and has their hair and is happy. It's so powerful for them to connect survivor to survivor. And it's powerful for them to know that their story means something and that it's going to help other people too. I think just that ripple effect was so powerful from that first project that we did that we figured we need to keep this going. It just means so much to people to know that their story is helping other people too. And Gracelyn, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that it was really important for you all to bring, I think you used the term like a, a multicultural twist to the projects and wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. It matters a lot to speak with someone who you can relate to. And so for us having, you know, using the medium of photography and books to speak to people and using this, these images, it was really important for us to show people faces and, and eyes and backgrounds that they could relate to. It means so much for me to speak with someone else who looks like me or who I think has a similar lifestyle or a similar background. Uh, when I was a child with cancer, the only images of other children with cancer were these beautiful, cherry-lipped, pink-cheeked, bald head, white children. And so for me, I just didn't see myself in those other images, like the St. Jude's ads that you see. So it was important for me to show all different cultures, all different backgrounds. And even in our, our cancer book and our grief book, we wanted diversity of types of cancer. Um, just like I wanted black people and Mexican people and mixed backgrounds like myself, you know, we are, um, you know, are, we're mixed with a lot of different, um, you know, backgrounds. I'm half Filipino and half Italian. Nobody can tell what I am. I just have dark skin and curly hair. <laughs> so when I wrote my children's book, I wanted to make sure that the kids in the book were all over the map. You could see yourself in one of those children. So that's what we're trying to get at is that we just really want to be available for all types of people. And I think we each come from, I mean, you can relate to this too. We're all sociologists. And so thinking about the recruitment, especially for us using photography, we had to make sure these conversations were diverse. We had to make sure that we were representing people of all genders, all ages. And that's something that I really loved in the grief project, especially we had people who were 55 years out of loss. And so I'm looking at someone a few generations above me and I see how their father loss plays out into their life. So it's important not just to see yourself in it, but also to look forward and to say, oh, I kind of want to be like that at that age. I want my grief to be like that at that age. Melody, you've mentioned a few things from when you were you were six when you were diagnosed and then you were in treatment until you were nine. And, you know, you mentioned like needing to see images of kids like you that look like you that you could relate to of knowing what survivors are like after they go through treatment and they're in remission. But are there other things that you can think back to like, oh, I really wish the adults in my life had whether it was family members or the medical providers you were interacting with? Like, what did you as a six, seven, eight, nine year old need from the adults who are supporting you? I feel really fortunate because I feel like I did receive what I needed. And what I needed was positivity around me and I wanted some normalcy. 
And so the doctor that treated me was such a wonderful person and something that he told me right away, the day I was diagnosed, um, he allowed me to look at the slides of my blood with him so we could see what he taught me, what the cells looked like and what leukemia looked like. And he told me, he said, I'm the expert in medicine and science. So I'm going to be in charge of that part. And you're going to be in charge of your attitude. So you stay positive and I'm going to take care of the medicine and we're going to work together. So that was, um, I've taken that positivity with me my whole life. I, I just feel like that was just such a great way to look at something because even having a positive attitude is not going to make anything worse. It's not going to take away from my experience. So um, I've taken that with me. So I was fortunate to have him. My parents were always very honest with me. So I was told right away that I had a 50% chance of survival. My parents wanted me to continue having the childhood that I had before, whether I was going to pass or not. So I stayed swimming. I was a competitive swimmer and they took me to swim practice all week. If I was too weak to participate, I would watch. My friends and my brother was on the team, so I'd watch him practice and I'd go to swim meets on the weekend, even if I wasn't feeling well. And so they kept this, like at least one thing stayed steady for me. And I think that that was really important, whether it's you know a kid that loves art or a kid that loves swimming, like you can find something that your child can still continue doing, whether it's after grief or during cancer treatment, as long as there's something that they can feel that they can hold on to. And swimming has been a part of my life ever since. And I still am not willing to let go of that. I still swim a lot and I still love the water. One thing I feel like I didn't know that I did need to know was that there was an end to treatment and that there was, you know, you can grow up and you can have a very normal life after cancer. That's where our books come in is that I wanted to see that when I was first diagnosed, you know, my parents told me that I might survive, I might not, but what does survival look like? So I feel like knowing what that could be would have been very helpful. And Graceland, I know I wasn't like planning on asking you a very similar question in that, but when your dad died, you were a young adult and just wondering like, what did you need from the people in your life, from your community, from your peers, from your family? Like what, what kinds of things did you find? Like, oh, I really need this in my grief. It's absolutely similar to what Melody was saying. It's just knowing that there is a point in time where you regain some strength and that you will learn to fold in your grief and to let it trickle into these different avenues of your life and to live with it and still have a positive life. Obviously, there's no end to grief. I think I will grieve for the rest of my life, but I don't think it's a completely negative experience. And obviously it ebbs and flows and, you know, it kind of feels different every day, even still at six and a half years after loss. But I needed to see other people incorporate grief into their life. And I needed to know that it was okay if I talked about it or it was okay if I did not talk about it or that it was okay to have birthdays where I just wanted to lock myself in my room and, and cry all day and also not be judged for it either. I think I was just so wrapped up and, you know, when you have, you know, someone that you love so dearly die, I think for a lot of people who haven't experienced that, you know, they're looking at you and they're watching you and they want you to feel better so that they can feel better too. And they're curious about it. And just the whole experience socially can be so awkward with grief, but 
for me to have examples of other people who have incorporated it into their lives in a very positive way and not to diminish the negative ways that grief still plays out into their lives was so important for me. And I think that continues to be really important for me. Beyond Grief was the book that I needed. And so much of putting that book together was so much of my healing as well. But I still refer back to these pages. And I think, you know, even looking at somebody five years out of grief, 10 years out of grief, right now I'm looking more towards all those examples of people 10 years out of their grief. You know, sometimes I revisit the ones who are two years out of grief and I go back to how that felt. And I look ahead to people who are 20 years out of grief. It's just something that I think I'll always need. I don't think there will ever be a time where I don't need a grief community or somebody who I feel like I can relate to. One of the questions that you ask people in Beyond Grief, and I'm not sure you, maybe you ask it in Beyond Remission too. I haven't had a chance to read that book, um, is how has your lifestyle changed? And I, you know, that comes up in my conversations with people, but not in that specific way of thinking about it. And just wondered for, for you all, like, how, how do you answer that question? Like, how did grief change your lifestyle? It changed my life so much, so much. Um, in the most tangible ways, I moved. And so my location changed. I was living in New York City. And I moved home back to LA where the rest of my family is. That in itself was such a big dramatic shift from, you know, being a young adult in the city to moving straight into the suburbs and having this pillar of your life gone. My return to home wasn't exactly the return to home that I had envisioned when I was going to eventually move back. So that was a drastic change for me. And I continued at my job in marketing for another two years, but I ended up quitting my day job as well. So that was another huge tangible change in my life and creating Luna Peak, which is pretty much all encompassing for me. That's family, it's healing, it's grief and community and giving back. So Luna Peak has become my life in a really, really great way. And I wouldn't change that for the world. And post loss, I've really had to make space for my grief physically and emotionally. And I think that's probably been the biggest change for me because I have to take that into account and I have to roll with the punches and so much of my life can't really be planned. So I've come to a place of acceptance of that. And I welcome the change. I don't think much shocks me anymore. I just kind of have to walk through and, and see where life takes me. But I also became a death doula. And I consider myself to be a very death positive person. And that's another way that my lifestyle has changed. I think my approach to how I spend my time and what I'm planning for the future all of that takes into account my own mortality and it takes into account the very real conversations and authentic conversations that I have with people and especially with community building. I think for us, we have more of a heightened sense of end of life planning, you know, living life fully. That's kind of a lot of our focus. So some pretty immediate, tangible changes in like where you were living and what you were doing and who you were around, but then some bigger picture value, perspective, priority shifts as well. And how about you, Melody? So, gosh, after Chris's death, because that was like a really big change in our family because he was sort of 
the center of many things. You know, he's the center of the holiday parties and he was the center of Thanksgiving and Christmas. So those definitely changed. Our, our holidays have changed a lot. I have to say that I think I didn't realize how many grievers are just walking around all the time. And that was a realization that Graceland and I had when Chris passed. It was like, wow, you know, my dad lost his father at a young age and, you know, family friends lost their dads when they were children. And we didn't realize we were among these grievers all the time and we were seeing them smile and we were seeing them, you know, live wonderful lives, but we didn't even realize what they had been through. I think I didn't realize how physical grief can affect you. I just remember like the actual pain. I didn't know your body felt that bad because I had experienced a lot of loss as a child, but it was a different feeling as an adult losing someone very unexpectedly too, because all the loss that I had experienced before was you knew somebody was very sick and you could anticipate them passing. So it was a different, just a different experience and a different feeling. So yeah, life after a loss of Chris has been, you know, it just changed the entire family. <laughs> it changed how everybody interacted. And something that I found very interesting was to watch how everybody grieved so differently. Some people were willing to talk about it all the time. Some people wanted to crawl into a hole. You know, our, our family is very large. I'm the youngest of five. So even just how my sister grieved was a different way than I thought she would. And the way my mom grieved, it was just very um, eye-opening to see just how different people truly are, even within the same family. You mentioned that it really showed up for you physically in a way that you didn't quite connect to when you were a younger child. What did that look like for you? How did it show up in your body? Well, definitely just like I had a lot of pain, like pain in my chest, like aching feelings. Um, and then, you know, on and off shaking, like the anxiety and and the worry and trying to get to the hospital to, you know, help my sister. And, you know, that whole day is such a, a fog. But when I arrived to be with my big family, uh, I kicked it into gear. Like I sort of, <laughs> I like this fog took over and I planned the whole funeral. I helped, um, I felt like I needed to get through it by being the worker bee. You know, I was buzzing around and helping and trying to get everything done and, and keep it together for people that couldn't keep it together. But I kept it together for so long that when I returned home, I just threw up. I feel like my body held it all in for as long as it could. And the minute I was allowed to relax, um, that's when the physical <laughs> pain and the nausea and the sickness kind of came. So I feel like I was like sick for a week after the initial week. As someone who had cancer, you know, as a young child, went through treatment, continued to like identify as an ongoing cancer survivor, when your body reacts so strongly like that, does it kick up fear for you? So not in that sense, not in that case, I should say, not after the funeral and after all of the, the planning, but every other time I feel sick. <laughs> Yes. So I knew what this was from. I think if I don't know where the pain or, um, you know, the feelings or sensations are from, then I'm always scared. But this, I knew why I was feeling this way. But um, just in life in general, yes. If I feel a bump on my neck, I freak out. If I feel a bump on my child's neck, it's an ongoing anxiety that I do have. And that's, I think, something that I'll probably live with for a long time. So any any health-related issue is always difficult for me, and I have to get tests done often and, and just make sure that everything's in check. But I'm fortunate that my husband is an oncologist, so I bother him with every bump. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, that's one lucky thing that I do have going on is that I have someone to tell me like, just relax, you're very healthy, you're okay, but we'll get it checked out. But you know, let's take it down. Seems like there's a parallel for folks who have had someone die of that, you know, we just think of it as like increased vigilance. You know, anytime the phone rings at a time when it's not supposed to ring, or if somebody's a couple minutes late coming home, or they don't text us back right away, that there's just this elevated awareness of danger and fragility of life and how quickly things can change. And Grayson, does that show up in your process, that heightened awareness? Definitely. I think we're just surrounded by cancer and grief all the time. Um, And it's really a blessing that people think of us first when something happens that affects their life so deeply. And it's an honor to hear their stories. It's an honor to be on their close friends list of people who, who they feel safe with to talk about all of these things happening in their lives. But it can also be a very sad thing as well. We had a week just a couple of weeks ago where we had a participant from our Beyond Remission book become metastatic with breast cancer after surviving 18 years ago. And we also had another dear friend of ours who had previously survived breast cancer become metastatic as well. And then we had another friend get diagnosed with breast cancer on the same week. So there's so many times where you're just reminded so constantly that terrible things happen and terrible things happen to good people sometimes too. So it's definitely a blessing to be a part of a community where we can talk about these things and show support for other people in more relevant ways. But it's also very devastating. What did you do after all that news of that one week? Like, what did you find that you needed physically, emotionally? Each other. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the, our text thread between each other is just, um, that's my therapy being able to talk to Graceland about things. I think also one thing that we love to do is to make care packages for people when they're going through something. And I've just recently realized that I feel that that is also helping us because it is that busy bee kicking it into gear, having to do something. So I feel like I can't do nothing. So building a basket for someone and delivering it to them is another way of me healing and us healing and even just us talking about what do you think they're going to need? You know, do they want wine? Do they want tea? Like, What should we put in this? And that whole process helps us help them, but it also helps us. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Having some outlet of like, it, there's a buildup of energy, whether it's worry, whether it's fear, whether it's frustration, like whatever it is, it needs some place to go. And so giving your body and your mind something to do, I can imagine feels very supportive. We've talked quite a bit about, you know, what you have created so far with Luna Peak, which is um, significant. So many books, so many helpful resources. Wondering moving forward, like what what hopes do you have of what else you'll be creating in the world? So I want to continue our work of donating books. That's one of our most fulfilling things. We love creating the books, but I love delivering them to hospitals and to therapy offices and to be, you know, sharing our work. So I want to continue sharing the work. And we want to expand and have more offerings. We've spoken about, you know, having wellness, um, you know, healing the whole self, not just the mind. Like, like I was talking about my doctor said his job was to heal my body and I was going to be positive. So I feel like we want to have that whole full circle of healing for people. 
Absolutely. And as we continue this work and we continue to make care packages for people in our lives, uh, just even on the side, we get so many ideas about communities that need that extra support and communities that need better access to these resources, too. So we're constantly thinking of new, larger photography books and and different ways to disseminate this information because, you know, healing is so much easier when you do it in a community. And I think we'd really like to grow the nonprofit to be much larger. Right now, it is a small family-owned nonprofit, and we do most of the work ourselves. So, you know, if I'm really looking forward and where I want Luna Peak to be five years from now is just a much larger space and including a lot more people. Well, Melody and Gracelyn, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today for Grief Out Loud, for sharing your personal experiences with our listeners, and also for the work that you're doing, the books that you're creating. I will put links, as I always do, in the show notes, but are there any other places people should be going to follow along with what you're doing? So on Instagram, we have a grief-centered community called Snapshots of Life After Loss, and this started by just sharing different passages from the book and stories. Uh, of different grievers who we've interviewed and it's now transitioned into memes and that work has now transitioned into us making dark humor workbooks especially for (laughs) grievers we can all use a laugh grief is hard enough we can you know smile and laugh through it too so we made a workbook called seasons griefings and that is our holiday version of our regular grief workbook but we hope it gives people an opportunity to smile and laugh and when you go through it it feels like working through your grief with a friend who understands so we hope that that is the experience that people have going through these well listeners i was really lucky because graceland sent me a couple of copies of the holiday griefings and the other day i was like what am i going to do in my kids group i have no ideas And I pulled out the activity Frosted Feelings, which is where you get to draw on a gingerbread person cookie, the feelings that you have in your grief, that really physical manifestation. And it was it was great. It was so fun to be able to do that with the kids. They really enjoyed the activity. And then I brought the concept to a young adult group. I didn't have them draw on a piece of paper, but they really related to that idea of externalizing how grief feels in our body. So I'm just really grateful for that activity and and for the workbook. Thank you. We're always happy to share these and and hope they are relevant for support groups and and therapist offices. So thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you do. Well, listeners, all that will be in the show notes. I'm definitely going to go be checking out this Instagram dark humor account Mm -hmm. because I definitely need that. It makes me feel a little bit less like a weirdo in the world, knowing there's other people who appreciate that. And yeah, Melody and Gracelyn, again, thanks for taking time out of what is a a really busy uh, season uh, to be part of the show today. I appreciate both of your times. Thank you. It was wonderful meeting you. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on this podcast. And we always point everybody towards the Dougie Center for all grief resources, family and child and everything grief related. So thank you so much. And listeners, each and every time I say thank you to you for being part of our show, for making it mean what it does, appreciating times that you've shared episodes with people when you've reached out to me directly to let me know what the show means to you or if you have an idea for an episode topic. If you do want to email me, you can reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. And that's also our website where you can find all the past episodes of Grief Out Loud, our free tip sheets and activity sheets, and information about our local 
programming. I'm also excited to share that Grief Out Loud is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.